I'm Jessica Chobot, and this is AI Hype versus Reality, an original podcast from Dell Technologies. And I'm at Kindred, an AI company in Toronto, to beat their sorting robot. I don't even know where to begin to just start describing this thing. It kind of reminds me of like those uh, car assembly line arms that you see. So the robot is called Sort, and it's used in warehouses to sort online purchases. Basically, a bunch of orders, like t-shirts and stuff, get dumped into a big bin, and it's this robot's job to sort which product is going to which person. And it uses AI to figure out how it's going to pick something up. The front, where the head is, there's like a little suction, and then what looks like um, like mandibles from an insect that are also grabbing things. I'm also standing next to James Bergstra. James is Kindred's co-founder and head of their AI research. I am very proud to see that you talk about our robot moving in a human-like way, because that is, that was a real uh, inspiration for us when we yeah. were designing this thing. It, I'm just, like, it moves fast, too. <laughs> like, right there when it did that quick arch, yeah. I was like, oh, that thing's going to miss and slap me right in the face. Sometimes, Sort can't pick up something, and it needs a human's help a human that can teach the AI how to grab the package. And to do that, I'm going to have to learn to pilot this beast. But before we get to any of that, here's the hype around AI and robots. Intelligent robots will clean our homes and cook our food. All labor will be automated, rendering all jobs obsolete. Robots will become self-aware and realize that they don't need humans anymore. All of this is going to happen any day now. I am joined by our resident AI expert, Dave Graham, the director of emerging tech and messaging at Dell Technologies. So quick reality check. Um, What do you think of all the hype surrounding AI robots? Do we have to worry about robots taking over? I don't think we have to really worry about robots taking over. They're very functional and they're very functionally appropriate for what they do. So a lot of what we're looking at is the augmentation of, not the replacement of, or the, you know, kind of the helping hand aspect of human-machine partnerships, really, and that's what we want it to be. We want it to be symbiotic, you know, in, in nature. You know, we're in that stage where we just can't conceive of that next place, you know? Like, it just kind of boggles the mind what we could possibly do. I heard from Jeffrey Hinton on this exact subject. You know, he's the godfather of deep learning and a recent winner of the AM Turing Award, which is kind of like the Nobel Prize of computing. He thinks it's very hard to predict what's going to happen in the next decade. If you'd ask me... 10 years ago, would we today have neural nets doing machine translation that used no linguistic knowledge, that just learned it all from scratch? I'd say, no, that's crazy. That's too too much to hope for. But we've got it. So I don't think you can predict 10 years in the future with this stuff. The other thing is, I think it's very sensible for people to be thinking about it now. I'm not saying people shouldn't think about it. Um, It's just a question of what are the chances? What are the chances that in 10 years' time, computers will have taken over everything? I think the chances are very, very slight of that. But if you ask me, what are the chances that in 50 years' time, there'll be some power struggle? I don't know. Well, that sounds ominous. I mean, 50 is still not that far off. On a more, like, ground roots level, should we be concerned about the effect that robots are actually going to have on jobs? I know a lot of people are very nervous about that, I mean, maybe not only just from factories, but even to something like what you and I do. I think there's always an opportunity in society to enable the workforce to develop new skills, 
Right. So coming alongside of robots being, again, augmentation, uh, we talk about robotic limbs or robotic helpers to help warehouse workers be able to lift heavier objects, right? You get more efficacy out of your workforce that way. So that's a true augmentation, not a replacement of. I think some of the skills that you know, people are worried about have already been a foray for robotics, right? So we look at even the overcorrection that uh, Mr. Musk talked about in Tesla, where he thought he could build the entire line in an automated fashion. He actually had to step back from it and say, you know what? I over-rotated on this. Perhaps it wasn't truly something that should have been 100% automated. You have to take a step back and realize that human beings, who we are in the workforce otherwise, are inherently, we can draw logical conclusions, we can do things that machines can't necessarily synthesize now. I also reached out to someone else to get an insider perspective. Andra Kay is the managing director of Silicon Valley Robotics, a nonprofit that supports innovation and commercialization of robotic technologies. We use robot as an avatar for all of our concerns about the digital world. So we often get scared because we think, wow, if a robot can do that one thing well, what else can it do? And the reality is that they are not capable of multitasking or multi-purpose behaviors. Humans are capable of doing a job. A robot is capable of doing a task. And I've just had a lot of conversations with various industries who've deployed robotics. And they say, by and large, even when a robot does the work of four people, those four people remain employed because the company is more productive, but they shift to higher value tasks. Where we see the matchup happening is in where are there constant labor shortages? And that's a pain point where people are willing to potentially change their infrastructure to allow for the roboticization of tasks. We see things like people re-architecting their orchards so that they are more amenable to machine operations, where trees are being trained to grow in a more two-dimensional shape than a three-dimensional shape. And that's allowing for various combinations of machine-human augmentation at work in the orchards. So, Dave, it sounds like what she's saying is that rather than the AI or the robot being an actual worker, per se, it's more of a tool that the worker can use in order to free up time for them to think about things in the bigger picture. Yeah, like a smart hammer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just continues yeah. to bang, bang away at it, and you just can you feed that pipeline, it just does what it knows to do, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, actually, I, Dave, am going to get hands-on myself with trying to pilot one of these uh, kind of worker bee robots. Uh, so wish me luck that I don't destroy somebody's <laughs> incoming package that they paid a lot of money for. Well, best of luck to you, Jessica. But before I get to that, I'm going to talk with a researcher who's convinced that what's missing when it comes to training AI robots is a human touch. So I'm Dylan Losey. I'm a PhD in mechanical engineering, and I study human-robot interaction at Stanford University within the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. So Dylan and his team, they have this demo where a robotic arm is holding a cup of water and keeps trying to place the cup on the table, but thus keeps filling the water. The robot knows it's carrying this cup, but it doesn't understand that it needs to keep the cup upright when it's moving between this start and goal. So the human could come along and physically grab the robot arm 
and twist it so that the cup is upright. But most robots just ignore the human and continue to keep spilling the water. The work that we're interested in is for the robot to recognize that there's a reason why the human has corrected the robot and is now pushing it to carry the cup upright. And then for the rest of the current task, the robot will keep that cup upright. It will change its underlying behavior to, to suit or to match what the human has shown it. And so now it's treating this interaction as a meaningful correction. Brilliant. That sounds great. So what's the problem? I think there are two main challenges to get this onto a factory floor. The first is that the way robots are set up right now, they're put in fences or box-top areas on these factory floors, and you never want a human to be close to the robot, just because you want to ensure that at no point is the robot going to swing and hit this human by accident. And to solve that challenge, we need to make robots that are physically safer, that are softer, more compliant, um, and also we have nice programming guarantees to ensure that at no point will the human and robot have a, you know, a dangerous interaction. I think the second challenge is just convincing these different manufacturers about the utility of having robots that can change their programs and learn from interactions. Right now, I think the, the sort of the state of the art is just pick and place. I know exactly what I'm doing beforehand. I never change my behavior. It's fixed. But if you're going to manufacture maybe smaller volume manufacturing or you're manufacturing a variety of parts, I think this is when this technology becomes more useful. All right. I like what Dylan is saying, especially the safety bit, because I don't want to lose a finger or anyone else's finger when I pilot the sorting robot at Kindred, which, if you remember, is a big, powerful beast of a thing that kind of looks like a giant metallic caterpillar. But first, Kindred's James Bergstra is back to explain how sort does its job. Well, actually, as we've been saying all show about AI robots, how it does its task. Imagine that you're in a huge facility that's fulfilling e-commerce orders. Lots of people have been picking, you know, a hundred people's orders that all came in at sort of within an hour. Yeah. And then all those orders are all jumbled together, and they're falling in into the front of this machine into oh, this. Oh, it just missed. Pickup zone. Oh, it just totally missed. In its defense. It will it try again. It sucked it. It, but I think it's the <laughs> suction, like the 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 bag, plastic bag, threw it for a loop. So what's going on is the there's, there's cameras all over the place. They are taking pictures of the items in the input bin. Uh huh. They are making a plan for how the arm is going to get in and grab something. Uh-huh. And so then the, the, the suction will get the first contact with those items. The fingers come in after, so it's got a good grip on it. It picks it up, and then you see it there with all those laser scanners. They are uh, looking for barcodes. So like I said, all these orders are all mixed together. Okay. Then we need to look up what items are which so to know, like, oh, this is, you know, Alice's order. This is Bob's order. Okay, that's going to have to go in that cubby up there. And that's where the arm just put it. What makes it special as a new kind of product is the AI that drives it. So whenever the robot's looking at the input area, the bin where the stuff falls, it's a difficult computer vision challenge to figure out what's in the bin and how a robot should interact with it. Like where, where would it grab it so that it doesn't damage the item, so you get one item. It, it's like stuff that really feels like common sense for a person, yeah. but as with so many things about AI and computer vision and like, you know, mobility, things that seem effortless for people end up being really a challenge for, yeah. for AI. So the special sauce that makes the AI in sort special is that it's really good at knowing, you know, where to pick things so that the 
you get a nice grasp and you can be quick about it. Yeah. Okay, I'm dropping in here to point out that this whole time, while James and I are standing here talking about the robot, it is completely, autonomously sorting out a huge pile of t-shirts. This is exactly the kind of work that we were talking about earlier. So I want to ask a couple questions. I just saw it pick up a shirt, try to scan the shirt. I don't know what happened. It decided to then change its mind. It put the shirt back and grabbed a different shirt to scan and then moved that one into a cubby hole. So what was it doing there? Was it not finding the code? And it's like, okay, I'll come back to this later. It recognized when it, I guess it didn't get a scan. So I put it back and it would just try it again. Like it feels intuitively like you just pick up stuff, you scan it and put it where it needs to go. There's a lot of kind of edge cases of like, what if you grabbed on top of the barcode or like, what if you know, the lighting is wrong or whatever is going wrong on a given day. How do you deal with all those edge cases? And that's why our product is, is uniquely capable. Is it learning that if it can't grab a scan, that if it drops it, it has a better chance the second time when it grabs it to get a flat surface or a, the scan to show up? Yeah, there are, uh, it, it, it does do that. That, uh -huh. is, that is the thing that it does. Sometimes, uh, you know, items that weren't maybe supposed to be, land in this, in, in, in our product, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, find their way in there. Uh, there's two kinds of people that, um, two kinds of roles, I should say, that like interact with our robot. There are people who are on the floor who are dealing with it um, like physically in person. And then there's also uh, remote teleoperating pilots that can see through the sensors of the, of the robot, but the, over the internet. Ah, right. So that's the person who steps in and helps the robot, teaches it how to pick something up if there's a problem. That's what I want to try to do, if I can, without, you know, breaking the robot or ripping someone's expensive order. To see a bit more about the piloting, I'm okay. going to introduce you to Sai here, who's okay. an expert. Hi, Jessica. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet and you. I will leave the two of you and see you in a bit. All right, cool. awesome. Thank Thanks. you, James. Can I sit down next to you here? Absolutely. See what you're doing. What's going on here, these are actually running logs of what's happening with each of these robots. Okay. So it's telling me like if I see a warning or an error or something that's, you know, a little bit not the best thing to see, I can always jump to that robot, take a look, figure out what's going on with it and make sure it's still sorting healthily. Okay. And so then what's going on in the middle monitor? So right now this is the this is the control uh, interface that we use to uh, keep the robots running. So right now you've got on this side um, this is what our algorithm uses to kind of make its picks. And then on this side, this is like a live camera that I would be using to understand how the arm is moving, if it's going to run into anything that might damage it or that we might even need to just park the arm in case so that we can have someone jump in and grab something. This right here is exactly what the robot is seeing. And so these, these little dots um, are previous candidates it was going to want to try for. Just jumping in again to explain that the dots are white circles with crosses on them, like targets, and there's one on every shirt. Not in real life, just in the robot's vision. Those targets are where it's going to try to pick up the item. Got it. And so then on the right is the live action shot exactly. of that in actual motion. Exactly. Got it. And so then going back to the middle monitor, yeah. I see that you have uh, some, I guess for lack of a better phrase, buttons at the bottom where it's like yield, override, abort. Uh, pinch vacuum, which is what the uh, robot is supposed to be able to do on its own, right? Mm -hmm. So is that 
to kind of kickstart it? What are those buttons so for? So these ones would only be used in a case where I get pulled into a robot that needs my help to do something. Mm -hmm. So if it's run into an item that it's not familiar with because it maybe hasn't interacted with many of that type, mm -hmm. I would then be able to say, for example, override the algorithm and then choose whether or not I want it to be a vacuum-only grasp or a pinch-only grasp, mm -hmm. and even if I want to send the item directly to the error bin just to have someone else deal with it. This is more like, a, I would actually call this like a security guard position, to be honest, because uh, you're, you're responsible for making sure that a large group of robots, you can monitor them through either this control interface, but really you can do the majority of the work from this dashboard here. You don't even need to necessarily be hands-on unless there's a situation that requires it. Okay, so you would have somebody that would be hands-on, go in, mm -hmm. grab the stuff, like fix it. Like unloading cubbies, exactly. And you would be there as the as monitoring the entire situation. Yeah. But would you need to be on site as well? Very, very rarely. I don't. I don't think there would ever be a situation where we would have to send someone to the site. So wait, this isn't on site. Like this, this robot is, is not in this building. Nope. This is in Gallatin, Tennessee. Well, is there anything uh, that I should know before I hop into the driver's seat or the pilot seat? The pilot seat. The pilot hmm. seat. The only the only thing to to really note is don't break it. <laughs> no, the the only thing to avoid is barcodes. So if you're if you're suggesting something for the robot to do, uh -huh. try not to plant your crosshair uh, exactly where that sticker is. It's best to avoid that just ah. so that it gets a nice clean scan. Okay, got it. So you're actually, while you're picking the items or while you're suggesting the items that it should go for next, you're also suggesting where on the bag it should grab? Exactly. Oh, okay, exactly. cool. So if you think about it, now that the boring, repetitive job of sorting stuff is being done by the AI, the humans get to play this cool claw machine game of helping the robot pick stuff up when it needs it. Okay, it's more complicated than that, of course, because you're looking after the inner workings of a whole fleet of robots, but still, claw machine which I excel at. I mean, seriously, I win so much stuff. Um, so I'm gonna do, I'm gonna actually override the algorithm uh, so that we can have you suggest what the next pick is gonna be. Okay, okay so I'm gonna press the override button uh, and whenever you're ready, so go ahead okay. and right click on whichever item you wanna get okay, rid of. Okay, and we're, we're, let's, we're gonna try to not do the yeah. uh, barcode, right? And away and it, it goes. Did it, oh cool. <laughs> wow, this is really fun. Oh no, and but it fell out of the bag. And so that's exactly what we mean about the packaging, right? Yeah. The packaging can sometimes be a little bit annoying to deal with. And so let me show you something so, fun So yeah, now. can I error it? Yeah, so we're gonna override, we're gonna target the pinch grasp, and uh -huh. then we're gonna put it into error mode. So now go ahead and click on that white item. Anywhere? Anywhere you want. Right in the center. Cool. And it's going to take that away and put it to the air bin. So this really is a giant claw machine. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's okay. a giant, it's a giant like, game of claw. I'm really good at claw machines. <laughs> so I want to try another one where the, where the bag doesn't implode on me. <laughs> Let's it, go for that, that black I want, item there. Oh, go to the black one. We'll yeah. go up here in the corner. Where's my, oh, I don't have yeah. my finger on this. Go finger. ahead. And perfect. Get it. That's Ooh, a nice one. That was a good one. Wow, this is really satisfying. <laughs> are those flip flops? I want to go for flip flops. Those are flip flops. Those are flip flops. Oh, wait, it's, I already grabbed it. It wants oh, them. I knew it. It beat you to it. All right, we're going to go for that. <laughs> it's faster than me. I also keep hitting the wrong button. There we go. <laughs> and it's not just that sword is faster than me. It's learning so quickly that with my little bit of help, it figured out right away how to pick up that item and immediately went off and picked up a bunch of other stuff while I was still looking around trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, thanks so much. Absolutely. That was super fun, oddly satisfying. <laughs> I, I legit really enjoyed this. Good, I'm glad, I'm glad. Can I add robot pilot to my license now? Yeah. 
I was actually surprised at how easy it was for me to pick up. That being said, is the hype justified? Will AI robots take over some, if not most, or all of our jobs in the future? I gotta say, based on what I've seen, while I do think robots will be playing more and more of a role in our jobs, we're gonna always need the human element. Hopefully, this will just free us up from some of the more boring tasks. That's AI hype versus reality from Dell Technologies. And if you want to see me piloting that robot, check out DellTechnologies.com slash hypevreality. Next time on the podcast, I perform in a sitcom. Yes, an actual sitcom in front of a live audience, co-written by a comedy bot. Oh my, wish me luck. <laughs>